So let's open up to Psalm 127. I think it is uh, always interesting when uh, you have a guest speaker come and you, you know, think, well, where are we going to go to? Where are we going to study? Uh, you know, out of all the places we could go in the Bible, where are we going? And uh, I feel like God has us going to Psalm 127. And as you're turning there, I know uh, Rory said I'm his pastor and I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Corvallis, Oregon. You probably know that. Rory comes from Corvallis, Oregon. And, um, uh, you know, we've been a mobile church for Oh, 12 years and two years ago, God gave us 55 acres uh, overlooking our city and gave us an amphitheater under 200-year-old oak trees. And our, uh, we meet outside all summer, and, and um, we've got a baptismal down front, and we invite people to get saved and get baptized in their clothes. They came in that morning and just come, and, and, uh, and I've already been scouting out the little amphitheaters over here for Rory and the river and... All kinds of vision for uh, <laughs> what it looks like around here. But um, our church is meeting right now, and um, I hate missing outdoor services, if you know me. I love that. We're outside, we're under the oak trees, we're baptizing, and, um, and yet I felt like the Lord said, you know what, one of our elders is teaching, and I wasn't to disrupt that, and I and, uh, felt like the Lord said, I'm supposed to be here. And so, um, beautiful to be with you. Psalm 127 Let's look at uh, what is called a song of ascents, and uh, what is a song of ascent? Uh, we read from Psalm 120 to 135 that uh, there's 15, or 120 to 134, 15 psalms of ascent. What does that mean? I mean, you read that phrase, you're, you're going through the psalms, what's a song of ascent? And uh, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you are going, I have no idea what a song of ascent is. Three times a year... Uh, the Israelites were required to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Uh, three times a year, God had uh, ordained it that the people of God get away and get re-centered on him and refocused and eyes off of their circumstances and eyes on the Lord. And, and we find in the Old Testament in these three feasts a precedent for God, God's people. They were three Week-long feasts are like retreats. We'd call them retreats. And how needful it is for the people of God to get away. Get away from all the stuff going on at home and get focused on the Lord. Get centered. Get our eyes on Him. You know, getting away and getting your eyes on the Lord is so needed. And that's what uh, these songs are about. They're called Songs of Ascent because uh, three times a year the people went to Jerusalem. Any, anybody here been to Jerusalem? A couple of us, Rory, raises his hand. I, I, I know you are, I took you there, so I know that. Uh, and whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always ascend. There's songs of ascent. It doesn't matter north, south, east, or west. You always go up to Jerusalem. It's a rocky plateau, about 2,500 feet. And uh, what we're reading about are the songs they would sing. I lift my eyes up unto the mountains from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And they would sing these songs as they uh, were going to Jerusalem. We're getting our eyes on the creator, on God. We're going away to seek him. And uh, this is uh, one of those songs of ascent. And uh, we read here that it's a song of Solomon. Most of us probably know who Solomon is. Something registers when you hear the name Solomon. He's the son of David. We know that. David and... Now, you can hardly even say that, for me, uh, without being overwhelmed with how gracious God is. You're telling me that David had an affair, an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and killed her husband, and God was so gracious to forgive David and give them a child together that would become king of the nation? I mean, that's incredible grace. However we've failed, however we've screwed up, I mean, God is forgiving. God is so gracious. It's such an incredible uh, story. But this is a song of Solomon, and let's read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So third time in verse 2, it's vain. And, and 
Three times there you read of vanity or what is vain. And if you know Solomon, uh, you know this sounds a lot like Solomon. If you know his writings. And uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's famous for writing vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity or everything is empty. And what Solomon uh, expresses there is that he tried everything and everything left him empty. I mean, everything under the sun he tried to find fulfillment in, and everything left him empty. And if you know Solomon, uh, he was able to take that uh, to a degree further than any of us could take it, because he thought marriage was going to satisfy him. A lot of people make that mistake. They think, you know, marriage is going to satisfy me. Marriage can't satisfy you. Only the Lord can. And Solomon said, well, maybe if I don't have one wife, but two and three and Maybe I'll have a wife from every nation in the world. Maybe that'll satisfy me. 700 wives. And, and it was all, he was empty. And he said, well, there, it must be I'll have 300 concubines for my sexual pleasure. Maybe that's what will satisfy me. What, what do you do with 300 concubines? And don't answer that, you know, but... <laughs> I mean, it, it, but it, it didn't make him happy. He, everything left him empty. 300 concubines, and that left them empty. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. God has given me wisdom more than any man in the world, and here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, because God is going to bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Solomon said, that, that's, that's where you find real worth in living, when you start fearing God. And uh, fearing God speaks of, of reverencing Him and, and being in awe of Him and not wanting to do anything that goes against Him. God, I don't want to do anything that brings you displeasure. I don't want to watch it, Lord, if it doesn't please you. I don't want to, Lord, if I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to act like that. I just want my life, my thoughts, my looks, my hands. I just want to do what is pleasing to you. And it's a constant growing of, Lord, I just want to please you. And it's not a perfection. We're not talking about perfection when we talk about fear of the Lord. It involves failure. It involves, oh, Lord, I said that, and I know, I know that displeases you, and I forgive me, Lord, I fear what you think. You know, the other day I got a phone call, and I found that I, I lied. You know, it just came out so easily. It comes out, it was so much easier to lie than to tell the truth. You know, I, I, I could have told the truth, but, and I could have accomplished, you know, what I wanted to, but I, I don't know, it just was a straighter line to just lie about it. It just solved it. And, I mean, I wasn't off the phone six seconds, and I was like, oh, I, Lord, what, forgive me. I mean, you see that? I fear you. I don't want to be a liar. Lord, just cleanse my lips. And, you know, if we, maybe we've watched something, and, you know, you finish watching it, and you're just like, oh, I just am defiled. You know, why do we pay nine fifty to watch that? And, and you just confess, Lord, I fear you. I shouldn't have watched that. Forgive me, cleanse me. I, I care about what you think. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, I shouldn't have done that. That's where real uh, a purpose in life is found, when you start fearing God and you start keeping his commandments and you start living your life like God sees everything. He does. And, and he's going to bring every single thing into judgment, whether good or evil. There's nothing hidden from him. And, and Solomon said that's where real life is found, that you start fearing God, keeping his commandments, start living like he sees what you're doing. That, that type of transparency before God, that's where real uh, meaning in life is found. But if you know Solomon, I mean, it just sounds a lot like Solomon uh, when you uh, know his writings. And so unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain uh, who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So what house do you think Solomon is talking about? If you know Solomon, what do you, what do you think he has in mind when he wrote this? The temple, which is called the house of the Lord. Maybe he has the temple in mind. You guys are in Kings, and um, you're going to learn that Solomon also built his own house. And um, this psalm is about the family. Maybe he's got the family in mind. Uh, maybe he's got his own literal house in mind. Maybe the house of the Lord in mind. 
but uh, you know, and then you look at the city. What city do you think Solomon's talking about? Uh, yeah, it would seem most definitely Jerusalem. And um, you know, you learn here that man has the capacity to build. Solomon's talking about this, whether it's to build families, to build a house, to build a, a temple, do we have the capacity to build churches, to build orphanages, farms, ranches, communities. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a place for man to build, but what Solomon is singing about here is unless the Lord builds the house, the labor of those who build it, it it's in vain, it's empty. That is, if whatever you're building, you're building it without God, it's going to leave you empty. It doesn't matter what it is. We have the capacity to build, but if you're building it without God or apart from God, if what you're building, you're building independent of God, you're going to find time and time again, it's going to leave you empty. And, and Solomon sings about this, and uh, the children of Israel pick up on Solomon's words, his song, and, and they start singing it as part of their songs to Jerusalem. And as they're ascending to Jerusalem, uh, they begin to sing these uh, words that as they're going away to seek the Lord and get their eyes on the Lord, they begin to express in song like, God, we don't, we don't want to be building apart from you. We're coming away to get our eyes on you and to get things centered on you and to get right with you. And, and any way that we've been building independent of you, Lord, rectify that, correct that. We want to get things right with you. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And uh, so uh, there is a place to guard what God has allowed you to build. There's a place to, uh, you know, to guard your family or to, to guard your house, to watch. You know, you're going out of town and you say, hey, let's just ask the neighbors to keep an eye on the place while we're gone. That's wisdom. To guard your finances, to guard your business, to, to watch over and want to protect your church family, your pastor and his family, your community, you know, neighborhood watch. You know, there's wisdom to have uh, in uh, Solomon's Day walls around the city. That's wisdom. And you put watchmen up there and you're, you're alert. You know, um, uh, when you get to the New Testament, uh, Peter said you're to be sober and watchful because what? Your adversary, we have an adversary, an enemy who's against us, is like a roaring lion and he's seeking whom he may devour. And that's why Peter said, man, we've got to be watching. We've got to be, you know, be sober and alert and watching, knowing that the enemy, he wants to destroy homes. He wants to destroy churches and pastors, families. Man, we've got to be uh, watching. And there's a place to watch and to guard and, and want to protect what God has built. But again, unless our trust is in the Lord, then the walls, the watchmen, the guarding, it's, it's in vain. It's worthless and our, our eyes, our trust have to be in the Lord. And verse 2, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, uh, when you're studying the Bible, one of the things you can do to study the Bible is read different translations. Because you have the scholars, Hebrew scholars in the Old Testament, and they're looking at the Hebrew words and phrases, and they're translating it the best they can, and they produce the New American Standard, or the NIV Bible, or the King James Bible, or the Amplified Bible. And, and when you read different translations, you can see the different ways a single word can be translated. And a lot of the Bibles translate this here. It's vain for you to rise up early or to sit up late to eat the bread of anxious toil. Man, it's, it's, it's empty. It's worthless. Nothing good comes out of being up late at night and you're eating the bread of anxious toil and you're worrying and you're stressing out. 
And you have heart palpitations and panic attacks and, you know, you're pacing and, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to make it? You know, what are we going to do? You know, there just isn't an answer and man, and you know, you begin to fear and fear, fears the worst. And, you know, pretty soon you painted a, this dark picture and nothing good comes out of it. It's in vain to, to stay up, uh, late at night and, uh, to be eating the bread of anxious soil or uh, the bread of anxious toil, or to be rising up early in the morning. And, um, you know, you should be sleeping. God gives his beloved sleep about a third of the day. God wants us to sleep. And it, nothing good comes out of being up late at night worrying, or you get up early in the morning and you're panicking, and, you know, how am I going to make it through the day today? And, and you're worrying, and, you know, and what are we going to do? And, man, you know, and, and you're, you just... You just work yourself into a, you know, a downward spiral. Nothing good comes out of worrying like that. And um, I want you to turn over to Psalm 37. And um, I was on the phone the other day with one of our missionaries. And um, they're, they're in China. Actually, they came back from China. They're raising their family in China. And um, they're coming back because his mom is old now. And... Um, they really felt like, you know what, we're supposed to come home and, and honor mom. Dad has died, and mom needs our protection, our help. We need to be there for her. And you tell me, is that the right thing? That's the right thing. I tell you, we were talking on the phone. Dave, you're doing the right thing, honoring your mom and dad coming home, or your, your mom coming home like that. And I was asking them, they're home now, and I said, um, how are you doing? And he said, just living in Psalm 37. And uh, Psalm 37 is a good place to live. If, uh, if you don't know where to live, I, I would recommend you live in Psalm 37 for a little bit. It's a great place to live the way Dave worded it. Look at it, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, don't, or don't worry because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Man, don't get your eyes on people and the wicked. And you know, all the wicked seem to be prospering and they seem to be getting away with it. Hey, their, their life is going to be very short-lived compared to eternity. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Boy, Psalm 37 is a great place to live. Just trusting in the Lord and dwelling in the land. Feeding on his faithfulness. What that means is in difficult times that you've got to feed on all the ways that God has been faithful to you in the past. And you just feed on that. Man, God has been so faithful in the past. He'll be faithful to me in this time. This tragedy, this job loss, this situation with our child or our marriage. And, um, you know, I was uh, a youth pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa for six or seven years. And so many times did I hear Chuck say this particular phrase that I feel like it's written on the inside of my eyelids. Over and over, I heard that man say, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust in him. God has been so faithful to me that it demands in this present trial I'm now in that I trust him. His, it's feeding on his faithfulness. God's past faithfulness demands my present trust in him. And, and what a good word to just feed on God's faithfulness. And look at verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. What a good word. And wait patiently for him. Maybe you came to church this morning, and this is what God wanted to say to you. Wait on the Lord. Rest in him and, and wait patiently. Don't get ahead of him. You know, I prayed and God isn't answering. Just learn to rest. Learn to wait. Don't get ahead of the Lord. Don't fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. 
Maybe God would say that to you this morning. Cease from your anger and forsake wrath. And look at the last uh, part of verse 8. Do not fret or do not worry. Why? Look down at the end of verse 8. Do not worry. Why? It only causes harm. Man, what good comes out of being up late, worrying, panicking, scheming, strategizing? Nothing. It's in vain. What good? You get up early. You should be sleeping, but you're pacing and, you know, you're panicking and, you know, you're sweating and you're pulling on your hair. What? Nothing good comes out of that. In fact, it causes harm. Most of us have uh, uh, heard the name uh, Charles Mayo from the famous Mayo Clinic. And he did extensive research on worrying. And you can read online about his studies of, of how worrying does damage to your body, he found. It does damage to your heart, to your glands, to your nervous system. It's just what the Psalms say, that worrying causes harm. You know, when uh, you read the Proverbs, Proverbs 12.25 says that anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So, so what good comes out of being up late, eating the bread of anxious toil? Nothing. It actually does damage to you. And it actually leaves you depressed. You're up late worrying and, and you just find yourself just downward spiraling, get, getting more and more depressed. You get up and you're trying to figure it out and you're scheming and, you know, you're, you're panicking and you're fearing the worst and, and you just start to, to spiral downward. Nothing good comes out of worrying. I want to, before we move on, look at verse 5. Look what verse 5 says again. Commit your way to the Lord. And maybe your uh, Bible has the footnote there, the study notes, that the word commit your way to the Lord, that the Hebrew translators tell us it means to roll it off unto the Lord. Man, I, I am so thankful for that uh, little insight. You know, the, the, you know, the word commit your way to the Lord. You know, we use those words so much. Commit, you know, trust in the Lord, rest in the Lord. And uh, sometimes we just kind of grow numb to what it means to commit things to the Lord. It literally means to roll it off onto the Lord. Man, I'm so thankful for that imagery because that helps me so much. I get under things that are just crushing me. That I just ca- I cannot bear the weight. And I've learned through the scriptures to commit those things to the Lord, to roll them off onto the Lord. And we all know that, you know, you just roll it off onto the Lord one time and, and it's gone, right? <laughs> oh, I only got to list one, two smiles or laugh. I mean, no, it's, I tell you, sometimes I get up in the morning, I'm just being crushed and I'll roll it onto the Lord and, and before long I'm in the shower and somehow it's back on me. It's like, Lord, I want to give that to you. It's, to, it's crushing me. And I'll be driving to work and I'll be like, Lord, I'm just dying under the weight of this. You know, a lady at first service said, thank you so much for coming. I had such a huge weight on my shoulders when I came this morning. And where nothing good comes being up late at night worrying and panicking, or getting up early in the morning and you're stressing and striving, nothing good comes out of that, but how powerful it is. When we start committing things to God and, and rolling it off onto Him. By lunchtime, it's bad. I don't know how my shoulder gets back under it, you know, and I'm like, Lord, it's killing me. You've got you've to carry it. Lord, I, I trust you. Take it. Bear the weight of this for me. I can't bear it. And uh, I want to read another passage to you that for me is a passage like this one that it just seems like every week it's the passage that sustains me. And I'll, I'll read it to you, and um, then I'll tell you the reference. But, you know, it is, um, it is always, uh, I guess, uh, it always puts things in perspective, doesn't it, when you see other people suffering? Have you ever, you know, been somewhere and you glance over at the paraplegic in the wheelchair and you just think, oh, Lord, I can't believe my problems have been crushing me the way they have when someone else is carrying such a heavier weight. Or, you know, we were with one of our kids in and out of the hospital, and um, 
and we, we were up at Shriners, and, and there was one dad there with his kid with the vacuum, had to keep the vacuum saliva out of his throat that he didn't choke to death in the wheelchair. And I just, I mean, we were both in the waiting room, and I just, you know, boy, did things get put in perspective. Like, man, you know, it's amazing what we let cripple us in life. And, um, and you look at David, you think you have problems in this psalm that I'm going to read to you, the background is David's son, Absalom, had turned on him. Your son turns on you. And, and you're king, and your son turns on you. And he starts, you know, standing in the foyer of the church lobby, turning all the people's hearts against you. And not only your son, his best friend, and most trusted counselor, Ahithophel. Both of them turned on David. Well, you talk about a heavyweight. You have your son who's heir to the throne, and you have your best friend and highest counselor turn on you. That's weight. That's pressure. And listen to what David penned. He wrote, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast, this is what David learned. The the depth of his trials. These are the, the writings that came out of his devotion to God. This is what David had learned. That you cast it, cast your burden on the Lord. And the promise that David discovered is he shall sustain you. Or he'll hold you up. He'll hold you together. He'll strengthen you so you can make it through that trial. The promise is he will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you've got to cast your burden on the Lord. And, you know, again, I know, I know what the word cast means. You know what the word cast means. But for some reason, defining it just, it just took me to a new level. A simple definition of the word cast means to release the weight of it. Man, to cast something upon the Lord, you've got to release the weight of it. It means you're not carrying the weight anymore. You're putting that weight on the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. The promise is He'll sustain you. He will hold you up. He will hold you together if you'll put the weight of it on Him. He will not allow you to be moved. Well, that's in Psalm 55, verse 22. If you want to write the reference down. And there's one other reference that for me, it just sustains me when we're talking about these things. And maybe you know it. It's the Philippians 4 passage. And I know you're shaking your head going, I know that one. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication. This is the hard part. Prayer and supplication with, that's the hard part, you know, Lord, I can't, I don't know, you know, how could you be, you know, allowing this to have, there's nothing good could be coming, loss of job, the stress I'm under, the pressure, the, the child, the marriage, the, the, the job situation, whatever, and, and, uh, you know, how, but I guess if I were to be thankful for something, Lord, you are causing me to pray a lot more, so, Lord, I just could thank you for that. Or, Lord, you do seem to be drawing our family together, so I can thank you for that. Or, Lord, you do say you work all things together for our good. I don't know how. I don't know how this could be worked for my good, but I'll thank you for that promise. And um, we're to be, you know, the King James Bible translates it a little different. It says, be careful, or um, do not be careful, but you're to be prayerful. And prayer and supplication. And we think, don't be careful. But it, it's not the same way we use the word careful. It means don't be full of care or full of anxiousness or worrying or fear. But learn to pray and learn to thank God and even the hardest things that, God, you have a plan. You don't want me in a, a, you know, I tell you, it felt like Thursday when we got to the airport and they said, no, it felt like I was in a full run and I ran into a rock wall. Just, I mean, head first. It, just, it took me just about, you know, a day or so just to 
get my legs back under me. I'm doing conferences and speaking in five different you know, cities in Brazil, and now I'm not going. And, okay, Lord, you have a plan. I don't know what it is, but I, I thank you. You know, you just, I thank you. That I, that's all the, the only thing I can say is I can, Lord, I just ask, what do you have for me? And there was that little nudge, Prineville. Oh, Lord, Lord, I don't want to be ahead of you. And, and I was walking and praying. I just said, Prineville. Okay, Lord, I'll call Rory. I mean, how many things he could have said? You know, I just started a book. I'm in a two-part series. It's not the right week. And Rory was like, no, it's perfect. Come. It's like, well, okay then, I guess. I'll go to Prineville, you know, and so Lord, thank you. You know, you've got a plan and I'm driving over just, you know, I don't know what the next two weeks hold, but I thank you. And, and in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let, we don't demand, let your requests, God, I don't sit on the throne with perfect knowledge. You do. I just, I just am requesting into your, all of your wisdom. This is what I'd like to see you do, Lord. And you request before the Lord. And it says, this is the promise. And a lot of you know the promise. The peace which surpasses all understanding will guard, or it's like a Roman garrison, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Man, beyond what you can understand, you start to pray, and God gives you this peace. It's going to be okay. God's got a plan. And so we're nothing good. It's totally in vain. You're, you're up at night. You're just, you know, you're just panicking and striving, and maybe this, maybe that, oh, the worst. And if that happens, then this. Well, if that happens, then this. And, and pretty soon, I mean, you're just, you know, you're ready to go to the bottle. You know, you just are, you're just... You know, you're just at the end of yourself. And to put a, a couple drinks, that'll make things better, right? Well, you'll see a lot clearer after a couple drinks. And, uh, you know, and you get up in the morning and, and the, the panic is there and there's no answers and I don't know what I'm going to do and it's hopeless and nothing good comes out of that. But man, you start learning to roll that onto the Lord and saying, Lord, you carry it for me. Lord, I'm casting that burden on you, and I'm releasing the weight of it. Man, I have been living there this week. I have just been so crushed. This week, I was actually going away to Brazil to just, even just to say, Lord, I'm just, I need to get away to leave some of those heavy things just with you so I can get away and pray and come back and deal with them. But this week, I bet there's been things that you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day, I've just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. You've got to show me, Lord. I'm just releasing. Oh, I feel so good for you to carry the weight. And somehow I, you know, get my shoulder back under it. And it's just, Lord, carry it for me. Take it, work. And, and how powerful that is then when you start praying like that. And you lay in bed and you're praying about that job. Or, or you're laying in bed and you're praying for that child or the grandchild. And you're in the shower praying. You're commuting, you're praying. You're with friends. Hey, let's pray. This is, I'm just trying to give this to the Lord. And, and how powerful that is when you begin to, to pray like that. And Well, as we come back to Psalm 127, remember that uh, these are the songs they were singing. They're getting away. They're ascending to Jerusalem. Lord, we don't want to build apart from you. And Lord, we want our eyes and our trust to be in you. You're protecting us. And, and Lord, the stress and the worry. And God, we know that, that's, that there's not, nothing good in that. You give your beloved, for so he gives his beloved sleep. God wants you to have rest. He really does. He wants you to know how to cast things on him and then be able to rest. That's God's desire for us. Rob, let me carry it. I want to get, I want to, and whenever I think of this, I think of a story in the New Testament. Maybe you're thinking of the story of Peter. And if you remember um, uh, the story of Peter in, in the book of Acts, uh, when uh, Herod Agrippa I arrested James, uh, the Gospel of John is written by John and his brother is James. They're both apostles. Herod Agrippa arrested James and beheaded him. 
And he saw that, hey, this pleases the Jews. The Jews are really pleased with me as a leader. So he arrests Peter. And uh, there's a Jewish uh, feast going on, and he wanted to wait till Passover was over. And then when Passover was over, he was going to behead Peter too. And the church started praying at John Mark's house. They called for a prayer meeting. And it's amazing that when the church begins to pray, God will move miraculously. And a lot of times it takes crises before the church will start to pray. And the church started meeting at John Mark's house, and it says that constant prayer was offered up for Peter, and God moved and sent an angel. And if you remember, it was now that night before Peter was going to be executed. He's chained between two soldiers, and he's doing exactly what you would have been doing. Which is what? He's he's sleeping. I mean, I have a hard enough time sleeping on a perfect, you know, Tempur-Pedic mattress or something. And Peter is chained between two guards. He's in a concrete or stone floor situation. He's asleep. And this angel comes to him and has to strike him. Hey, Peter, wake up. He's in such a deep sleep. The angel's got to strike him to get him to, to come too. Come on, we're getting out of here. And it's such a testimony of how God can give his people rest. In the most difficult trials, God really can bring you to a place of rest that, you know what, I've cast it on the Lord. And he's going to take care of me. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what it's going to look like. But he's carrying it for me and I'm resting There really is that type of rest in the Lord for the people of God. He gives his beloved sleep. And then we read, behold, children are a heritage, or the NIV Bible says are a gift. That is, they're your riches, or they're uh, a heritage, or uh, a gift from the Lord. And so now why are we changing to children? We're talking about building houses and garden cities and, you know, worrying and and anxious toil. Why does he now switch to children? And I think a lot of times we make the mistake of we read the Bible, we go, it doesn't make sense. You know, in all of my great wisdom, I've now read it for five seconds and it doesn't make sense is my conclusion. And yet it, it does make sense. And this is what the people of God were singing about. And, and it's what Solomon understood. And I think especially for men, you know, that men are builders. We build and we guard. And, uh, you know, and we worry about what we've built and what we're guarding. And, and we have a tendency to get so caught up with building and guarding and up late at night working and redoing the columns and fixing stuff and up early fixing and working and and doing such a good job with all of this that if we're not careful, we can forget that the greatest riches are right there under our noses. That no matter how hard things are, we are so rich. Those precious little lives, those, those babies, those grandbabies are precious Gifts from the Lord that sometimes we become blind to, we lose sight of. Just how rich we are, those precious lives that God is, has given to us. And so they would, Solomon wrote these things, the children of Israel, you know, sang about them. A lot of times their kids were with them as they went to these uh, feasts. And just getting re-centered, refocused, eyes on the Lord, the truth about just how valuable our kids are. Wherever there's revival, there's always a turning back to God. And there's the, peop- the, the, the hearts of the fathers being turned back to the children. The farther a society gets away from God, the less they care about kids. The closer a society or church gets to God, the more we care about kids the more valuable the kids become. And you get away to get your eyes on the Lord. And one of the ways he revives you is, man, how important my kids are. The fruit of the womb is his reward. 
They're the fruit. And we talk in the Bible about uh, Jesus said things that um, were to bear much fruit. For in this, he said, my father is glorified. If we live fruitful lives, God will be glorified. That's our desire then is to live fruitful lives, not barren lives. And we read in the Bible that our good works are fruit. We're, we're not saved by good works, are we? Better, better have that straight. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. It's total grace. We're not saved by any good works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God's salvation. Is Where we're not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. God has works for us to walk in. And when we're walking in those plans that God has for us, then that's bearing fruit. We're, we're not saved to live idle lives. We're all saved to be serving and walking in the things that God has for us. And that's fruit. When, and that's such a joy to be walking in what God has created you to be doing. It's always so frustrating when you're trying to do what God has called someone else to do. But it's such a joy when your life is bringing forth fruit because this is what God has created me for. These are my giftings. This is where I'm to serve. And, and so uh, uh, good works is fruit. The Bible says financial giving is fruit. Paul said, I don't seek your gift, but I am seeking the fruit of that abounds to your account. That's fruit to your account in heaven when, when you give. The praise is called the fruit of our lips. Uh, leading others to Christ is fruit. Love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And of course, here we read that children are the fruit of the womb. And so the fruit of the womb is his reward And we want to understand here that this is Old Covenant promise. All through the Old Testament, the promises of the Old Covenant were like this. If you obey me, if you'll keep my commands, then I will bless you above all the peoples of the earth. And this is what God said. I'll bless your wheat. I'll bless your grain. I'll bless your oil. This this throws some people. He says, I'll bless your wine. I'll bless your cattle. I'll bless your flocks. And then he promised there'll not be a barren among you, neither male nor female among you or all of your animals. I will bless you if you obey me. And and this is uh, based on those promises in the old covenant uh, that uh, the fruit of the womb is his reward for obedience. And verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. So uh, most of us have heard this, and uh, uh, this is open to just all types of uh, now interpretation and, and so many things that are so powerful here, uh, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So specifically are the children of one's youth. And that is just as a a warrior uses arrows to defend himself and to protect himself. Uh, One of the central teachings here would be that when you're young and you have kids like that, as you get older, those kids will grow up and honor you and protect you and defend you and come to your aid. And they'll be there for you in your old age. That's the way God has designed Uh, You know, there's different seasons of what it looks like to honor our parents. But in their old age, we honor them by protecting them and defending them and caring for them. And that's part of the promise here. But there's so much here. I mean, I just think of this all the time. I got three kids like arrows in the hand of the warrior. You know, this also speaks of, I think, pointing those kids in the right direction. Because, uh, you know, a part of being an archer is you, you know, it takes a lot of strength to be an archer. It takes a lot of strength to be a parent, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, you, 
You've got to point those arrows in the right direction. This isn't the right direction. And, and your job as a parent is you've got to discipline those kids and you've got to instruct those kids and bring, it up, bring them up in the knowledge of the Lord. And you've got to get them pointed the right direction. And there's so much here to meditate on because how much are those, you know, what a difference and how important those last little minute adjustments make. Well, it's the difference between a kill or a miss. It's a difference between hitting the bullseye or not. You know, you may have, you know, taken a a long time to get those kids going in the right direction, but then those last adjustments, you know, those last years they're at home, still under your roof, still under your finances, and you're just those last adjustments. But then ultimately, every parent, like an archer, has to. It's hard. You have to eventually. You got to let go. You, you got you've you've done all you can to point them in the right direction. Discipline, instruction, your example. You've done you know, but eventually you have to trust that you know what I've got to let them go. It's time to we've done all we can do. You never stop praying for them, but you eventually have to let go. And 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 so powerful is the teaching that um, you know actually you could spend a whole. Probably a whole retreat just talking about child rearing, discipline, teaching the children. No, that's not the right way. This is the right way. Instructing them. No, it's not just, I'm not just saying because daddy says it's wrong. You know, we don't watch that because this is what God's word says. We're going this way in life. And as for me and my house, we're going to go this way. And it's a lifetime of, you know, not only, you know, our words, but our lives. If our lives don't line up going in this direction, then our kids won't go this direction. If our lives are pointing this direction, our kids are never going to go this direction. And like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So this doesn't mean uh, much to us. We're the gate. What's, what's speaking with enemies in the gate? And, and yet in biblical times, you settled legal matters in the gate of the city. And so it was a good thing if you had legal matters to settle and you had a couple strong boys standing with you there in the gate. That, you're not going to be put to shame. That's a good scenario that you've got a couple strong boys, you know, standing there with you when you're going to uh, in legal matters with another person that's your adversary or against you. And, and so uh, we, the Solomon references this type of uh, ancient wisdom like that. But let's come back to happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And you thought maybe and you're thinking, what's he going to say about the quiver? I want to know about the quiver. How big is a quiver? Because happy is the man that's got the full quiver. And, and you know how many are in a quiver, right? Biblically, it's always 12, right? That's, if you want your family to be blessed, you should have 12 kids, right? <laughs> Three's good. No, actually, a quiver is not 12. You know, actually, the truth is, every quiver is different. No two quivers are alike. A quiver is designed for a specific amount of arrows. And uh, I think that's true of the family. And, you know, for my wife and I, when, um, uh, interesting, on a weekend that Rory went out bow hunting yesterday that we're talking about quivers. Uh, but, you know, my wife and I, as we have talked about this passage and the way we look at it, you know, trying to, you're trying to figure out, you know, how many arrows does God have for our quiver? When is our quiver full? And, um, you know, the, what God led us to is in the book of Genesis... It says that God created first day, and then he said it's good. Then he created a second day, and he said that's good. And he created a third and a fourth and fifth, and each day he said that's good. And then after six days, he said that's very good. And then God stopped creating. He still had the capacity to create, but God said that's good. I'm going to rest. That's very good. And I think, uh, you know, the way I look at the family is it's the same way that, you know, you have a child and you say, oh, that's good, good, 
You have another one? And good. You have another one? Good, maybe very good. You know, and, and somewhere there as a family, you get to the place where you are able together to say, you know, it's very good. And just like God had the ability to create and he stopped creating, there's a, I think there's a place, you know, we have um, three kids and I was thinking maybe a fourth arrow in the quiver. But uh, my wife, you know, made it very clear, it is very good, you know. <laughs> and over time, I came to learn it's very good, you know. And, and I mean, I say that in jest, but really, we're, we're a team. And we had one, it's good, two, good, very good, good, very good. Five years in between. It's not very good yet. We had a third. My wife thought, very good. Well, is it good or very good? You know, we wait. And over time, like, we're agreed, you know, very good. We're done. I mean, there's such a precious, uh, you know, gift from the Lord. But every family, I think, has to discern what the right number of arrows for their quiver is. And, and the last uh, thing this morning, happy, or it could be translated blessed or joyful is the man. Man, you've got your house is full of kids. You're, you're going to be blessed, happy, joyful. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just introduce you to my uh, kids just very shortly here. I've got a 15-year-old, and uh, the other day my 15-year-old scored the first goal for the season for her high school team. And, um, you know, she got that shoulder around the defender, broke away, the pass came, one touch, two, three touches, and I was worried about that fourth touch that, that the goalie might charge her. But she got that fourth touch on the ball. And just like we practiced, I saw her. She looked left side of the goal and then drilled it into the right side of the net. And, you know, I was on my feet. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know you know. You're, you've got kids. And I don't know why sports, you know, something about seeing your kids like that. Just such a joy. And then there's my, uh, my 13-year-old. And her name is Jessica Joy. And she is just the joy. She's our giver in our family. You have takers and you have givers. <laughs> the takers are tough, but Jessie's a, she's the giver. And, um, and I was at middle school camp and, you know, she's lifting her hands to the Lord and going around and praying for the other little girls, you know, for the work of the spirit in their life. And, and dad was in the back of the retreat. I mean, just, I, I mean, I, no words to say. To see my little girl growing up worshiping and serving and ministering, I mean, they're just, just aren't words. And, um, and then the five-year gap, my little eight-year-old guy, and um, he's Joshua Daniel. And, um, and we got out of the jacuzzi the other night, and Susie and I, I was changing in the room, and, and Josh came to the door, and bum, 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 bum. And I said, uh, Daddy's changing, and boom, you know, he blows through the door, and and, uh, and he begins to explain to us, it's okay for boys to see boys, and it's okay for girls to see girls, but it's not okay for boys to see girls or for girls to see boys. And, you know, we've taught him these things, and, you know, it's... He's got it. You know, it's good. So daddy's changing. It's okay. I come in. Okay for boys to see boys or, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, but he goes straight to Susie to cover her eyes. <laughs> and, and we're just laughing. I mean, just the joy that, I mean, just constant, you know, these little, little kids and, um, and we're just cracking up and I don't know why it came out of my mouth. You know, you're trying to communicate with an eight year old. And, uh, for some reason it came out like this. I said, Josh, you see that ring? When you have a ring on your finger like that, it's okay to watch each other change. And, you know, <laughs> he put his hands over Susie's eyes to him. He goes, I can't believe you watched Daddy change. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we're just laughing. And, uh, you know, the joy that, that fills your home, the things they say. You know, the little note left on my, my desk one time by my little girl when she was so small, and it says, I love you, Bab. <laughs> she got her D's backwards, you know, and, and you, I mean, you just, you're just sitting there at your desk smiling that that little life had it in and of herself to want to express her love to me. Man, I mean, you're just filled with joy. And um, I could go on and on. Let me say this. You know, you might uh, be thinking, you know, Rob is a guest speaker. You know, it doesn't maybe seem like you're exercising 
very much sensitivity to maybe somebody here in the fellowship who can't have kids and, you know, talking about this subject. It's got to be very painful for them. And um, it is. I mean, that's a, that's a hard subject. Every Mother's Day is a hard time for pastors because you just know how can you celebrate motherhood and yet not hurt those that can't have kids? It's just hard. And I am very aware, and you know, we have a very large fellowship, and there are women that can't have kids, and it's very painful to go over stuff like this. But let me say this, and, and I will just kind of close with these thoughts. It's not just women that can't have kids that are suffering. You know, there's a lot of families that have kids that are suffering. You know, I, I, um, in our family, you know, one of our kids, we've been in and out of the hospital and uh, Shriners up in Portland. And I mean, we have just cried until you can't cry anymore. And uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, when it comes to suffering, we would never choose suffering. None of us would. You know, we don't, we always ask God, no suffering. And, and a lot of us even think when we got saved, somehow we think we made a deal with God that, okay, here's the deal, God. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be like this good person now and I'm going to, you know, do everything you want and you're going to take care of me. And that means nothing hard and no suffering. And, and that's the deal. But that's not the deal. God doesn't make that deal with us. And God in his sovereignty knows that things are accomplished in our lives through suffering that aren't otherwise accomplished. The depth that we wouldn't otherwise have, the character, the compassion. And isn't it true? And maybe it resonates with you. I know, you know, we have, I think of suffering as this 360 degree sphere. And, you know, we've just suffered You know, seeing that other kid in the hospital when we were in the waiting room in the wheelchair with every few seconds, the dad had to suck the saliva out of the throat. Like, oh, Lord, there are people suffering so much greater than we are. But it's amazing when God allows you to suffer just a little, how for us, we've become so compassionate to the rest of the sphere of people that are suffering. I am just so aware of everyone else in the circle that are experiencing suffering so much greater than myself. And you know what uh, God's word says? It says when you, this isn't a very popular verse. You don't hear this a lot on the Christian television. But when you suffer according to the will of God. Wait a minute. <laughs> Did you say when you suffer according to the will of God? Yes, sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. It's not just all about having enough faith and you'll, you know, your debt will be erased and you'll be healed instantly. Sometimes God's will is for you to suffer. And when we're suffering according to the will of God, it says to commit your soul to God as to a faithful creator. God, you're faithful. And I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're accomplishing, but you're faithful. And here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close. Stuart, why don't you come back up? And why don't we pull the lights back down the way we had them when we were worshiping? And could you just set your Bibles aside and set your notebooks aside? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the teaching. And I want to give you two different opportunities for how you might respond to the teaching this morning. And, and one thing you may want to do is, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to come up front and to just kneel down this morning. And if you're in a place where you're under just weight that is crushing you, I mean, it is just just killing you and pressing on you. And this is a day to roll that weight off onto the Lord. If, if it, there, things are happening that the burden is so heavy, and today's a day to, to cast your burden and to release the weight of it. Maybe, you know, you've prayed and, and asked God for things, but you haven't yet released the weight of it and put the weight on God. I want to give you an opportunity to... To roll things onto the Lord this morning, to cast and release the weight of it, and to receive peace that 
is God's promise to you. Peace that passes understanding. And one opportunity is if you want to come up and kneel down. And just in saying that, I want to say that, you know, for the people of God, sometimes kneeling can be so powerful. Just that full surrender and just, Lord, I just bow down and I'm just giving it all to you. Or the other opportunity to respond would be, and maybe you would just choose this one, just to stand today. Stand to your feet. It's not for everybody today, but if there's a burden on you, if there's weight on you that's crushing you, and I'd like to give you the opportunity to respond today. Stand up and just make the standing up. God, I'm rolling this onto you. you it's killing me, Lord. It's, it's crushing me. I want to release the weight of it and put the weight on you. Take care of it, Lord.